Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another edition of Believe in Giants. I'm Bob Papa. I don't have my two-time Super Bowl champion by my side, Carl Banks. Carl's a little busy with his G3 apparel business, a lot of meetings. But I'm out here in Tucson for the Cola Guard Classic, and I ran into a good buddy, Joe LaCava, who's caddying this week for Fred Couples, obviously works for Tiger Woods. But more importantly, Giants fans, you see him with the hat on. You see him with the shirt on. He's always got Giant gear representing, and he joins us here on Believe in Giants. Joe, thanks for a couple minutes. Um, I know today wasn't Fred's best day out there, but um, you were repping the Giant hat as always. Well, thanks for having me, Pop. And, you know, we all love Carl Banks, and I'm sure a lot of people are disappointed to hear that he's not on tonight. But I will say this, as a fan, I'm 3-0 and at the Super Bowl, so you got to give me a little credit there. Ah, that's um, pretty good. I'm glad you yeah. skipped Super Bowl 35. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't want to talk about that one. Um, but I still think if we had kicked off in that game and allowed our defense to make a statement that might have been a closer game, people are going to say 34-7, to that's crazy. And then, of course, the phantom Keith Hamilton holding calls, otherwise it's 7-7. So I'm still bitter about that 100 years later, but it's all good. Yeah, and I think Brian Billick would not have let Trent Dilfer try another pass if that pick six had stood because they were playing around him. You know, that whole postseason, it was like run the ball and then hit Shannon Sharp in the seam, and hopefully he goes 60 for a touchdown, and then that's the way we're winning. No, 100%. I mean, hats off to their defense. I won't take away from that, but we had, you know, a, maybe a notch below defense-wise, and like I said, I think we could add a, like a field position kind of game. Like you said, if it's 7-7, seven, seven, or if at least we start with our good defensive stand, it might be different, but listen, we're four in one of the Super Bowls. I've got no issues. All right, so um, how surprised were you? I know you were at training camp in the summer. You had a chance to meet some of the new staff. Um, how surprised were you that they played as well as they did this year? Yeah, Pop, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, I thought they were going to be, you know, 6-11 and 11 or whatever, you know, 7-10 and 10 kind of, you know, because we had both Dallas and Philly, as you know, and you figure those are four tough games right out of the hopper. Um, but, you know, I did sense a ton of energy at the camp. You know, uh, I don't know those guys that well, but I actually met both Joe and Dabs at a playoff game, Ranger playoff game, after they signed with the Giants. They're at the game together. They seemed like best buddies that night. And I said, oh, wow, this is kind of surprising because you hear about, you know, coaches and GM, you know, don't get along or at least don't hang out together. They were like buddy, buddy that night, the sports guys. And then fast forward to the camp that day, ton of energy. You know, Joe was there on the sidelines, couldn't have been any nicer. Dabs was very enthusiastic with the guys. You just saw a different kind of sense at training camp, you know? Of all the guys you met at training camp that day, there was one guy that <laughs> couldn't wait to meet you. Mike Martindale, the defensive coordinator, when he knew you were in there, you see him, you've seen him on the sidelines. He's completely different from a personality standpoint, I think, than anybody expects when they first meet the guy. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know him better than I do, but I mean, you know, I'm in there and I'm all jacked up and I want to kind of go over what kind of defenses, you know, he's going to call out there. And I'm all amped up to talk G-men football. And of course, all he wanted to talk about was golf. I didn't realize he was such a big golf guy. You know, I don't want to get the stats straight. I think he said he played like 68 out of 70 days, you know, leading up to camp. The guy's a golf nut. Couldn't have been any nicer. So we actually talked more golf than football. But like you said, I mean, he's this big, strong guy, but he couldn't have been any nicer sitting down. But obviously you see him on the sideline. You know, he's, he's very stern. But yet the guys, you can tell the guys love playing for him and love playing hard for him. And I think it's a great mix for the Giants. And I'm glad he didn't go anywhere. That's for sure. So there was a report today. Now we're taping this on Friday. First round of the Cola Guard Classic is in the books. 
there's a report for via ESPN that the Giants and Daniel Jones are starting to close the gap in whatever differences they have. You know, I want to see them keep the guy because I think with some better weapons, better interior offensive line, I think this guy can be better than a lot of people are projecting. Um, but it's so important for them to get a deal done with him because then they can use the tag on Barkley. If they have to waste the tag on Jones, it's really going to eliminate what they're going to do. Are you all in on the Daniel Jones situation? I am. I go way back. You know, I was, if whoever's under center, I always tell people the same thing. Whoever's under center for the Giants, I'm all behind because you know what? There's no need to badmouth anybody. And I hear it from my guys to the moment. Diehard Giants fan, you keeping Jones. What do you think this, that, and the other thing? I think he's a very, very solid quarterback. Dabs has done great things with him. Uh, you hit it right on the head. Maybe a little more around him. I think you know he's going to flourish and, and play very well down the road. And listen, the grass isn't greener. You need to sign this guy. And people say to me, "Well, forty plus million a year." I said, "Well, listen, it's a timing thing, and that's kind of what the market bears, and that's kind of what he deserves, whether you like it or not." And I'm 100% with you. I'd like to see him sign both, but I think Jones is probably the priority. Well, yeah, and the other thing is, you know, people are talking about there's no middle class anymore for quarterbacks. Let's say he sign, gets a long-term deal with the Giants, a three- or five-year deal, and it averages like $40 million. So people are going to be aghast. If he continues to improve, three years from now, when Mahomes gets his new deal, Herbert and Burrow sign, Hertz is going to sign, Jones is going to be in the middle of the pack because there's going to be a bunch of guys that are going to exceed 50 in the next year or so. Uh, I totally agree with you. I was, I was more thinking eight years, 300 million easy for me. I'm on the sidelines, but no, but seriously, like you said, that's less than 40 a year. You get him for eight years. You know, he's proven that he can be healthy now. And like I said, I think the guy's going to only get better from here on out with the coaching staff and what he's got around him. And I think we're, we obviously got a good GM in place. He knows what he's got to do to help this guy out. That's what I would do. But like I said, it's easy for me on the couch. As a fan, I mean, I'm in the booth. I got two of my kids with me working in the booth in Minnesota. I mean, it was an awesome game. They win a playoff game. Um, we knew that going to Philly was going to be difficult, but how was it for you, like, watching that? I mean, because you almost felt like we had gotten so used to under Coughlin in 05, 06, 07, 08, then the, almost made the playoffs in 10, the playoff run in 11. We all, I almost forgot what like playoff excitement and nervousness felt like. It was kind of cool to experience it again. No, great point. You know, like you said, we played Minnesota late in the season, even though we didn't win the game. It kind of reminded me, I'm not trying to compare it, but try to reminded me of playing New England late when we beat them in the Super Bowl. You know, you knew you could hang with Minnesota. They're a tough team at home, and I get the crowd the whole nine yards. Uh, they're kind of a fast football team, but I liked our chances going to that game. It's easy to say now. And you hit it right on the head. You knew Philly was going to be a challenge. Obviously, they're a better team. You know, they're loaded. But the fact that we won a playoff game on the road, like you said, you get jacked up and you have something to look forward to next year. So um, do you remember your first giant game that you went to? You know, that's a great question. Um, I don't that's a, I can't remember what I did last week. So I definitely I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. I was probably 10 years old. So it was probably mid 70s. But I don't know who they played. I remember John Hicks was on the team. That was the kind of guy that stood out to me. So probably early 70s, but I don't know. Who Holding they number 74. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I remember him from. So where, where, where was it? Yale Bowl? Because you're a Connecticut uh, guy. Yeah, I think the Yale Bowl I just missed because I think um, I was probably only eight or nine years old at that time. So I probably, when they first opened the Meadowlands, which was probably 76 76, yeah. Yeah, and I would have been 11, 12 years old. So I think that was my first game. I remember mine was uh, the old Yankee Stadium. They played the Cardinals. 
I remember the coolest part about it was when the game ended, they, they, to get you out of the stadium, they let you walk on the warning track out that left field gate in the old, old Yankee stadium, right. you know, the right. original one. And I'll never forget the giants played the Cardinals. I remember seeing Pete Athis like running toward me. Remember him with the eye sure. black number oh, 45 yeah. crazy Spider-Lock man. Pete Athis, right. Yeah. I mean, uh, they had some decent teams in the early seventies, but they didn't, they, they had a chance to make the playoffs in 70 and they should have beat the dolphins in 72. They had them at Yankee stadium. So what are some of your favorite, forget about the super bowls. Those are easy, but like some of your favorite players growing up, um, maybe we'll take it in two stages. You're young, you know, preteen early years. And then afterwards, obviously I'm guessing, I know the answer to the second part as we move into the later phase, but let's go back to your youth. You know, the first guy, the first two guys that stood out for me, obviously were, well, not obviously, but Tucker Fredrickson and Bob Tucker. Those were two of my favorite guys. You know, I like Pete Gogolak. Um, you know, and then on defense, as the years got kind of later, like you said, uh, Pete Athis and Spider Lockhart kind of stood out to me. And then when you get into those Super Bowl eras, you know, I was always a big Jim Burke guy. Uh, you know, my all-time favorite giant is Mark Bavaro. So he was my guy. I know we're kind of skipping ahead. So I always loved all those guys and those teams. And then obviously, you know, in their most recent Super Bowl run, obviously Eli was probably my favorite guy. And, I, you know, you got to mention Banks and Taylor and all those guys. You can go on and on. There were so many great players. And I got to know Otis Anderson a little bit. You know, I thought he had a great Super Bowl in a few years for us, and he couldn't have been any nice for that guy. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of good memories and a lot of great players. So for me as a kid, because – so definitely Bob Tucker. He's in there. There was something about John Mendenhall. Right. Number 64. The way he would line up, he always lined up like sideways with the jersey hanging out. But for me, because I was such a huge Nick fan, and at that time the Knicks were still good, um, you know, Walt Frazier was my favorite athlete. He and Bobby Mercer were my two favorites. But Brad Van Pelt wore number 10. So I was right. like in love with Brad Van Pelt. He was like my go-to guy. Right. Um, in my youth. And then obviously all the guys that you mentioned in the 80s. I mean, right. How could you not like them? So um, favorite games um, that you've been to, again, non-Super Bowl. Um, right. Any ones that like really, you know, you kind of think back and you remember being in the stadium, being at the game that were special to you? You know, I was at the, um, I went to the, uh, I'm trying to think that, I can't remember the exact dates and all that kind of stuff, but the, I don't, I think it was the last game of the season I want to say the Giants were up like 24 to 20 at halftime against the Packers and came out and destroyed them in the second half. May have won 54 to 20 to get home field throughout. That was 86. Yeah, it was a block punt in the second half. And I think um, Tom Flynn scooped it up and took it back for a touchdown. So that kind of sticks out in my mind. And I think I went to a 49er playoff game. It was the coldest I've ever been in my life. I don't know if it was the 49 to three game or whatever. Um, My memory's bad, but those kind of two or three games. And I think the game, one of the first playoff games the Giants won after a long drought, I remember, is it Hasselbeck maybe caught a touchdown in the end zone, yeah. big tight end? Mm-hmm. So certain things like that stick out to me. Like you said, the bigger games are easy to remember. Uh, but so many good memories of just those games. Uh, and But like you said, so many good games along the way. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you think about, like, not not being there, but the when they finally beat the Eagles in that playoff game. Um, and then, you know, there's, like, there's like cool moments for me, like um, – after Wellington Mara and Bob Tish had passed, Tiki put the team on his shoulders. He ran for like 200 yards. 
They had the game in Oakland to wrap up the regular season. The interesting thing about that Packers game in 86, what people don't remember is Lawrence Taylor had a chance to set the single-season sack record. And as they started blowing the Packers out in the second half, he came out of the game. And they were I guess they were asking him on the sideline. They're like, LT, I think you need like a sack and a half, and you could set the all-time record. And he's like, all I care about is winning the Super Bowl. So I, I'm coming out. Let's get ready for the playoff run. So that that's the kind of stuff that, you know, you, that always stands out to you. Right. So now now we got to go worst losses. <laughs> we got to go. Now there's a lot of them, but do you have a worst loss? Forget about being in person. One right. that bothers you maybe more than anything. Um, well, that's a great question. I try to, you know, like I said, I, I'm thinking here, what's the worst loss that I've seen? Uh, you know, that, that 49er loss. You know, when Strahan's giving the old look at the scoreboard kind of thing. Oh, the San Francisco 02. Yeah. The Niners. Because yeah, that yeah. team was awesome. That, right. That team, and they matched up so well against the Bucs had they played the Bucs the next week right. with their physical running game. That was, yeah, to me, that was. That one hurt a lot. I mean, like you said, we had them down. I don't remember what the score was. We were, I felt like we were blowing them out. Probably weren't blowing them out, but we were up pretty no, big. No, they were blowing then, them out. There, it's yeah. one of the biggest blown playoff right. losses ever. Right. So that one definitely sticks in my mind because like you said, we had a good team there. And then, you know, the other, you know, the bad memory is I think the probably the best team that we had, unfortunately, was when, you know, everything blew up with the gun thing down there in Philadelphia and stuff like that. So that's a tough memory for me too, because I thought that team was Super Bowl bound. Oh yeah. The 08 Giants. Uh they were the, they were the best team of that era. I right. don't think there's like any it. question. Yeah. If Plaxico Plaxico was kryptonite, because I think a lot of Giants fans that are watching this. Forget the fact that in the late 90s, through Fossil's era and the first part of Coughlin's era, the Giants owned the Eagles. They beat them constantly. Right. right. And in 08, Plaxico was the difference maker. They could not, their defense could not deal with him. And he gets, you know, knocked out for the year with the gun thing. They have the number one overall seed. And I think the first play of the, uh, they almost returned the opening kickoff for a touchdown. And first play of the game, they ran a play that Plaxico would kill him. And I think Dawkins came over from a safety spot, blew up Hickson, dropped the ball, and it was like the momentum of the whole game changed. Right. Yeah. yeah that, so that, that one, that's a tough one. Yeah, that really bothers me because right. they because to go back to back is like that's unique. Right. And and they could have done that. That I think I'm with you. They had the team for sure. Now, how many games a year do you get to? You know, I, I probably go to somewhere between two and four. You know, back in the day when I was younger, I would go to, you know, almost every game. But two to four just gives me enough now where I'm fine with it. You got the crew from Connecticut. You got, oh, the, yeah. post, you got the post game little gathering. Right. Free post game up. all day. You know the drill. <laughs> all right. So, uh, so wrapping up here, uh, you're here at the Cola Guard Classic. Um, obviously, you work for Tiger Woods many years with Fred Couples. Is it fun to be out there with Fred just on a little part-time basis with, you know, Tiger taking some time off before the Masters? You know, it's great. I, you know, two weeks ago, Tiger showed up at Genesis and actually played halfway decent. And, you know, you, you know, you miss it. But then when you get in the action and obviously we're paired with JT and Rory the first couple of days, you know, Tiger makes a run at the end of the first day, has a really good day on Saturday. So you miss it. The juices start flowing. So when Fred came calling and said, you want to work a couple of weeks on the West Coast? I said, of course I do. Um, you know, he didn't have his best day today. You know, typical Freddie made five birdies, so he still could make some birdies. He can still hit it pretty good. 
Um, just a couple of bad breaks and a couple of missed putts. But otherwise, it was like old times out there. You know, I, I see some of my old caddy buddies that are out here. So you're always having fun. And even if, even if it's the senior tour, the juices are flowing. You want to win. You want to play as well as you can. You want your guy to finish as high as you can. So it's a lot of fun. All right. So you got a, you got a month out West. Uh, obviously your son's doing a little caddy into he's on Stricker's bag this week. How much fun is that to be, you know, have your son around? It's nice to spend some quality time together. He's probably tired of me already two or three days in, but we're having a good time. We're having dinners with Fred. Uh, we may try to have dinner one night with Strick. He's getting to know some of the guys today. He was paired with Ernie, had a blast with Ernie. Um, so it's just good quality time between me and my son. So it's a lot of fun. So he, does he wear the giant gear like you do? I mean, <laughs> he, he's, he's a team player. He's actually wearing a Titleist hat today. And I even said to Fred, listen, you're a Bridgestone guy. They're a great company. He goes, no, wear the Giants hat. He goes, you care about the Giants more than you care about anything in this world. So have at it with the Giants hat. All right. I know you got the Rangers stuff too, although, you know, um, Kane's first night with Broadway <laughs> blue shirts didn't go so well, but I think I like their chances here. I'm ready for another run. Don't you think? I mean, I think besides the Bruins, when I say besides the Bruins are phenomenal, I think the East is pretty equal, just like last year. I mean, every, every series was seven games for us. So, I like our chances just as much as anybody. So we're all liars because we all grew up and we heard the 1940 chant. And in 94, the Rangers finally win a cup. And we're like, if we just win this cup, if we just, if we get through the devils and the Messier prediction, and then, you know, Vancouver and just win this last face off and win the cup. I don't care if we never win a cup again. And now we're looking at like 30 years. I care if we win a cup again, like, let's do this. I had the same attitude back in the day, and it's hard to believe it's almost 30 years. Like, we're more than halfway to that 54-year mark. I mean, let's get it done already. Yeah. Joe, uh, we appreciate you take a couple minutes. I know you got some plans here this evening. Um, we'll see you along the way, but thanks for joining us. Anytime, Pop. Always fun to talk Giants. That's Joe LaCava, longtime PGA Tour caddy, Tiger Woods, Fred Couples, joining us on this edition of Believe in Giants. Now, once the franchise tag comes out on the 7th, and we get into the new league year. Carl and I will be back with a fresh edition next week. Break down all the news. Tell all your friends, as we like to say, tell a friend to tell a friend. Believe in Giants. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.